Hi, hey, welcome to Praise Dionysus. Praise him. Um, hey, it's Jake. It's just Jake um, for this episode. So, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Working on my self-esteem. Uh, it's uh, the third episode of Jake and Jamesy's Chuckle Fest. Um, we are Jamesless, but hopefully we chuckle and we have some time to fest as well. Uh, in this episode, we'll be talking about, uh, because we're in the midst of the Melbourne International Comedy Festival of 2023, uh, we'll be talking about we being me talking and you on the other end of it very very graciously listening to my nonsense mouth um yeah we'll be talking about happy hour by william boyd ingrown by matt jenner and con versus con versus con um by con Cutis. um yeah speak to you in just a second Hi. Hey. Uh, yeah. Welcome. Welcome to the episode. Uh, yeah. Again, just me. My name is Jake. Um, James is, uh, he is unwell. He keeps insisting that that is the case. I am want to believe him, uh, because you know, I trust him. Uh, but there's also of course the other possibility where he is like, just like on a really wonderful cruise, uh, and doesn't want to make me jealous or he got a plus one, didn't take me. Um, and I don't know. I have no idea who he took. He is famously single. I am, uh, yeah, sorry. And <laughs> I'm just really realizing I do have cruises on the mind. Um, and, and I'm now, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's about lunchtime, but I still have like the residue of like sleeping in my mind. Um, not on my face. I, I of course sleep in a ball pit and none of them remain adhered to me. What am I talking about? I, <laughs> um, yeah, no, yesterday when I was working at my, my, my stupid job, my hospitality job, uh, I was, yeah, a woman that came in for lunch. She started off with a pal, um, while she was having lunch and the pal left, but she stuck around because, you know, she loved the ambience, loved the vibe and we really got along. And she told me this like lovely story about how she recently went on a cruise, met a hot Mexican guy and, um, they had a really good time having ship sex and, uh, um, yeah, which, yep. Yeah. Which which I declared one of the pinnacles of sexual intercourse, um, with her, um, and and other people heard about it, and then they ordered drinks off me. Um, thank you to everyone who reached out about <laughs> when when I was talking a couple of episodes back about about being bullied out of this workplace. Um, it is still an ongoing uh, crisis, <laughs> uh, but but uh, factoring in the influence of my self imposed optimism. Um, I, th- things will improve. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm doing the thing again where, because it's just me talking and I, uh, you know, I have like a foggy understanding of what you'll be doing on the other end of this thing on you being on the other end of this, like long voice note or this, I don't know, phone call with a person that you try not to speak to too much on the phone, because you know that all they're going to do is feign interest in what you say and then just talk to you about their life. Um, which I would never do to you. <laughs> um, I hope. <laughs> um, yeah, no, but me trying to picture where you are, I think, I don't know. I, I Let's say that you're, I don't know, maybe you're big little lising. Maybe I'd like to think that you're standing with a Chardonnay next to, next to your infinity pool, looking out at the grayscale beach. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's where I like to picture you. I hope you're warm there. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, what else has even happened in terms of like trying to give a rating to the last bunch of days that have just walked past? Um, 
I don't know, I sat down and finally bit the bullet of watching Don't Worry Darling. I know that no one's talking about it anymore uh, <laughs> in terms of a film or, or, or like the drama surrounding it. But it was, yeah, but it's, you know, it's that um, Olivia Wilde directed movie starring Harry Styles and Florence Pugh and Chris Pine. And something I didn't realize until I watched it is that like Olivia Wilde put herself in the movie as well. And not even like a brief glimpsey, like Shyamalani Tarantino style insertion. Um, it was, see, did Quentin Tarantino put himself in movies? I think he did, but all, the only, like, example I have of it in my mind is him being in the bar in Desperado, and I don't think he directed Desperado, and I might be mistaking Desperado for Silverado. I'm not an expert on these things, and with that in mind, let me continue telling you about this movie. I, <laughs> yeah, I, there's every chance you didn't see it, because based on the people that I've tried to bring this film up since watching it a couple of days ago, no one else saw it either. I don't know. And I was always bound to see it because I forced myself to watch Black Widow just to get to see Florence Pugh and Rachel Weisz. I, of course, fast forwarded through everything that they weren't in and then still lost interest because, you know, it's hard to watch a movie that way. You don't get a lot of plot. Uh, but yeah, no, don't worry, darling. Olivia Wilde put herself in it. Not just a glimpse of her. She's like a supporting character. Like she's like a full blown person in it. And she gets like twists and stuff, uh, which I just think is like... Uh, it's bold, it's brave. I feel like it's a very quintessentially American thing to do. Uh, and I just, I, it just feels a bit indefensible, I think. Like, I just think it's a level of kind of like, I don't know, is confidence seems too weak a word. It seems like you don't think anyone else could have done this. You didn't want to give this opportunity to anybody else. Um, I just, every time she was on screen, it was just like, well, this is a little bit selfish, isn't it? <laughs> so that was one, the one feeling I had. Also, I don't know, this movie, like you don't, honestly, it's just like you take Pleasantville, you mix it with the Stepford Wives, and then you throw a bit of Truman Show in it. And you've literally covered everything that happens or the themes, any of the twists and turns the tales take. Like literally, if you've seen maybe two of those three movies, you've had a better experience than than what watching this one will give you. It's a lot of like very like slow burn, very slow, flimsy, lazy world building. And just like the feeling of tension, but with not enough information to know that it's even like mounting in any sort of tangible way. Uh, yeah, large, yeah, super disappointing and ended at the wrong spot. It, it focused on the wrong parts of the story they could have been telling. Um, left a lot of very sort of like boring questions unanswered because they're questions that only literally apply to the specific world being created. Um, yeah, Florence, of course, always magnificent. Um, what a wonderful, beautiful every woman that she is. Uh, <laughs> this isn't a movie reviewing podcast and I think you can hear why. Uh, yeah, a real waste of my goddamn time. Uh, no one was especially impressive, least of which, like, the writers. Uh, it was, <laughs> first off, poorly edited. I know that's partially Olivia's fault, being the director, but I don't know. Let's just throw everyone under the bus. Edited in a really, I don't know, incorrect way, I'd say, as the expert that I am. And I just want to, like, <laughs> the this is the last thing I'll say, because I know you are not here to hear me talk about a film that no one cares about. Um, the writing was just weak, and I just think one of the things that most frustrated me about the terrible dialogue, and I'd say dialogue was a lot of where it failed, was like it did the thing a number of, a number of times where it was like, it's the sort of thing where it's like Florence Pugh is kind of like grasping that something's not right about this weird idyllic 1950s world they're living in. And she like, you know, starts cottoning on to like, oh, maybe something suspicious is happening in that mysterious factory we aren't allowed to go near um and um, right good instincts and 
But a lot of what was like wrong, well, some of what was wrong with the stupid, stupid dialogue in this movie was like there'd be scenes, especially like the three quarter mark of the thing where it was like, she'd be like, listen to me. No one's listening to me. I've got all these things to tell you about. But then you'd realize she doesn't really have that many things to say. And she'd spend like the bulk of the time that she had when she had like a captive audience that she could say things to. She spent a lot of that time being like, why don't you believe me? No one trusts me. It's like, bitch, maybe say something and they'll listen to you. You don't have enough facts to warrant these, <laughs> I don't know, these like little screaming matches you want to keep embarking upon. Like maybe you need more information than just like dizzy suspicion and having recently had a conflict with Chris Pine in your kitchen. I don't know. Uh, don't see it. If you want more details, message me about it. Um, is that all that's happened? That, literally, I've been so grateful for the comedy festival this week, just in terms of like really wanting a distraction from like outside of, you know, like Harry Styles disappointing me um, and and I don't know, workplace bullying and, you know, other things that are just, you know, like quintessential Jake brain issues. It's been really wonderful to have like stuff to do and like comedy to distract me and being amidst like the weird version of Melbourne that it becomes in the city when there is a comedy festival happening inside of it. It's been really wonderful. Uh, so that's been that. I think that's, is that all that's been happening? Yeah. No, nope. A stranger had sex on a boat. And I spent some time with Florence Pugh in the underwhelming 1950s. Great. Okay, let's let's talk about some comedy festival stuff as, in terms of like a star rating for the for the week that just passed. Um, I'm gonna give it 604 because that's the number of shows that I've incorrectly guessed are in the comedy festival this year. Um, great. Let's start talking. <laughs> Transitions. Hey, still me. So I went to uh, Campari House with a tall Canadian guy. Um, his name is Michael. We <laughs> went to see, uh, because during Comedy Festival, it is a performance venue um, because they have a bunch of rooms there and they made some of them into performance spaces. Um, me and tall Canadian guy went inside, sat down. Uh, uh, we were there to see Happy Hour by William Boyd, who is one half of Smelling Good Productions with Connor Dariel. Um, so yeah, we're pals, and that is the full disclosure portion of this. I <laughs> uh, went in, it's called Happy Hour, it's spelt with an I instead of a Y, which may not matter to you, but it would matter to me if I did not know that, and I found out later, I would feel like I'd been betrayed and misled. Uh, yeah, went in, sat down, we were like three, four rows back probably, three rows back, I'm remembering that because in the front row, which I will describe more vividly in a moment, front row of people, second row in which I then, like, I don't know, was too slow to notice, <laughs> L and Sebastiano, uh, Sebastiano Petruzzello and our pal L were sitting e uh, uh, in front of us. And that was a very exciting discovery. It was a nice little thing to be able to like, you know, flick my eyes towards whenever I, you know, wanted a moment to think about, you know, something other than audience involvement. <laughs> um, yeah, I was grateful for them being there because there was a lot of audience involvement and I like being able to think about something other than my anxiety whenever possible. <laughs> uh, anyway, show starts. Will comes out, there's like a prologue component of it, which is like a pre-recorded experience where we're sort of like kind of inside of his mind while he's having his morning routine, like having a shower and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and we're kind of inside of his mind. Um, yeah, yeah, kind of just being privy to the things that he's thinking about, which is like a sweet, like, yeah, like a lovely, quite personal, but also quite comedic beginning of the uh, performance we're about to see. Um, yeah, which hangs before kind of like the, the big sort of larger scale introduction where all like the warnings and the, and the not that we need a lot of warnings. Um, and those that we did wouldn't have kept me safe from all of the audience participation. <laughs> uh, yeah, show starts. It's essentially kind of like a sketch show, but like a very, um, 
yeah, a sketch show, a solo sketch show, which hinges largely on like your experience as an audience member, irrespective of how many things you get yanked into, is largely dependent on the group of people that you're watching the show with, which in essence is a super interesting dynamic thing to be attempting as an artist and to be embarking upon as a very courageous audience member if you enter into it willingly, which of course I didn't. I would never go into that sort of bear trap on purpose, but you know, wanted to see Will and I was there for whatever it ended up being. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, he handled it well in terms of, like, managing to, uh, you know, pull people into the show. It's like, let's talk about the front row. So the front row <laughs> of people watching the show seems to be, in terms of, like, what I thought it was, it was, like, a, a fully stacked front row of people that were just kind of, like, handsome man strangers. And then as the show continued, it seemed as if they had some sort of existing relationship with him because they were very like, as, as talented as Will is, there was like, okay, these guys seem really open to the, this brand of goofery. And they seem as more and more of them got involved and bullied by this show, <laughs> um, in a, you know, in a very like sweet jibby way, jibby, jibby. I feel like that's part of a boat. Jibe, jibe. Um, I'm going to Google jibe for you. I've Googled jibe is like a synonym for taunt. Uh, so he bejibed us uh, throughout the show. Will did. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, this front row, super duper grateful for them because as more and more things happened, um, because people had to, there was a part where like a guy had to come on stage and give mouth to mouth resuscitation to an invisible man. And it's like, truly, if that had been me, the show would have come to a grinding halt. There was a moment where duck, duck, goose happened to us. I, tr no, there was like, I... <laughs> <laughs> um, I, as you know, if you've listened to even like one of the episodes of this podcast before, I'm sure at some point I slotted in there that I'm just not built for any type of participation. I've done it to myself on purpose in the past and accidentally in the recent past at a show called Happy Hour by William Boyd. <laughs> there was a portion, there was a portion where we were like, you know, like embroiled in the game of Duck Duck Goose. If I had been goosed, um, I, I was rehearsing the speech that I would have to give like in my head. If I had been... You know the rules. I'm going to lay them out very, very quickly because, you know, because like tall Canadian guy that I was with after, like I found out afterwards that he'd forgotten the rules of Duck, Duck, Goose. I wish I could live in that ignorant reality. I, but yeah, no. So it's like you, a bunch of children sit in a circle. A person walks around them. They are standing up. The children are sitting down. You duck, duck, duck them. You bump them on the head. You call them all ducks. When you call one of them a goose, that goose stands up and chases you around a circle. It is then your, <laughs> like, you know, your fantasy as a goose is to prod the person who begoosed you. I, sorry for walking you through that. It exhausted me as well. Um, yeah, no, um, no. My pal Al, she got goosed. I had no envy for that. I, <laughs> but yeah, no, I was rehearsing in my mind and this is nothing against Will. Will's fantastic. I, <laughs> if I'm being begoosed, my speech that was formulating and these are the words that I had in my mind was like, I'm sorry, Will, I am not doing this. <laughs> and that, that is a horrendous thing for me to even contemplate saying to a person who was generous and sweet and talented enough to plonk a show in front of me. But I was just not, I was just not mentally prepared to stand up. And I don't know. Um, yeah, and I don't think that my anxieties are correct. I will not defend them necessarily. <laughs> I just, I really, really, and I think I believe this, but I think I'm also like too deep in the, 
in the anxiety wardrobe to be certain that I can at least say this sincerely, let alone think it in a way that I'm fully convinced of. But I envy the people like the, the like that like the guys in the front row. I envy the people that can just be like, okay, give me an instruction and I will do it. I am there. I will. You you get yeah. No, I can't. There was a part where two people came up and did some sort of like I'm not going to spoil things because this show may happen again. But two people had to come up and almost undertake a significant athletic endeavor. And like I in front of a room of strangers i would rather eat a poison apple i yeah uh, which uh, no which is an analogy no can you imagine if i was like the sort of person to just like you know <laughs> casually drop snow white references and then think that that was just like a way to talk to people no i am not a disney adult there's nothing wrong with them i feel the same way about them that i feel about the furry community it's like do it <laughs> do it <laughs> um yeah, no, no, sorry. The, the poison apples have been on my mind because I've just, I don't know, with with everything happening at work, I've just been thinking like, what are the odds that like someone would, <laughs> I don't know, fall for what Snow White fell for in terms of like the spookiest woman you've ever seen offering you fruit and then insisting it grants wishes. Mm, saying it out loud, I think I might fall for that sort of thing. If she was a nice enough woman, um... And I do need to eat more fruit. Anyway, um, I always found like one of the oddest things, and James and I have spoken about this at length in private. Um, I, I doubt that we've burdened you with this um, before on this podcast, but I will right now. I found it so odd the way that in Snow White, the queen gives the huntsman that box to bring uh, Snow White's heart back in. Because um, you know how then he like, you know, can't do it because I don't know, Snow White is just like so good at picking flowers that he's like, I can't do this to the floristry community. I can't kill this young girl. Um... And then brings back like a pig heart instead in this box. I always found it was odd to be like in the, in the, you know, the original Snow White, the original, Walt Disney wrote it, the, uh, the, the cartoon movie animated classic, um, of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, um, where, where the queen is like, bring back her heart in this. And then there's like this huge musical sting and there's a close up on the box and it's a nice box, but like we already knew the plan was pretty menacing. This box really doesn't come back later on apart from like the pig heart betrayal. It's, it's as if they're laying some sort of like, I don't know, some groundwork for some big reveal later. It's like, oh, here's that box again. We don't see that box again. Um, Anyway, so, <laughs> and yeah, no, I'm wishing for no one to die at the hands of magic fruit. I just want to clarify that as well. Um, what am I saying? Uh, I'm saying I definitely want to uh, point out that Samuel Roberts of Footballers Our Godsend fame was operating like the lights and the sound and whatnot and had to like very thoroughly participate and engage and help shape what this performance was in terms of like the number of times that he had to like interject, say things. There was like a, a whole portion where everything that like Will touched... The, the, the Sam would say the thing that he touched, which from the moment it started, I was like, um, and me and the Canadian spoke about this afterwards of just like that, that, that the, the moment that bit began, it was really, really like, emo like immediately quite potently full of like a lot of comedic potential. Um, yeah, yeah, which was realized. It was cool. Uh, something as well that me and the Canadian talked about in the wake of seeing this show, um, while we like had very fast dinner afterwards, um, because we had somewhere else to be. <laughs> um, we talked about the, the possible potential of like this type of show. And this is a thing that I'll talk to Will about if he wants to talk about it. Uh, the possibility of like him having a real ability to like, even this show itself, you could rework a bunch of it and turn it into, like, it's already like an impressive piece of cool experimental stuff. Uh, and, uh, but you could like, there, there are things you could tinker with and alter and point in a new direction and turn it into something that could be like really effective for kids as well. Just in the way that like his presence on stage is so like quite like, 
I don't know, warm's wrong, because I wouldn't describe, because calling it warm is incorrect, I think. But I think there's something quite, like, buffoonish and open and kind about him that I think if you, yeah, I, I don't know, reoriented some of the directions of what he was going about doing with this show or some other show that he chose to make, you could make a really effective and dynamic kind of, like, bold, boisterous piece of children's theatre. Um... Uh, yeah, just, it, it, I, I could just, I think it, yeah, uh, yeah, as we were talking about the show after having seen it, it's like, the idea of, like, you could take the, the, like, the rambunctiousness and, like, the, the high energy and the, the vocal capacity of Will as a performer, which are all great, and you can see why he has, like, such a passion for clowning, because he has so many of the tools necessary to be a really, really, like, yeah, <laughs> like, high energy goofball clown, um, and that's a thing that, like, children... Uh, hungry for. Uh, I speak to children often, um, and they, they tell me that is their hunger. Um, to be clear, I do not speak to children often. I avoid them, and if I were to speak to them, I would not interrogate their, their hunger. Um, I don't know why I hate Duck Duck Goose, because it is like, Duck Duck Goose stands out as like a really hateable thing. Um, Hateable? Hated. I hate it. I hate it. I've always hated it. And I think my instinctive, and I'm not going to dive into this. You're not here for my psychoanalysis, despite how revealing it's been thus far. I, um, I, <laughs> I think my first response in being like, so Jake, tell me to me and to the sweet, sweet listener, uh, why you hate Duck Duck Goose. And I feel like a lot of it is the moment where you get goosed. You then have to do some sort of like, I don't know, caricature like, pantomimic response to it, like, oh, gee, um, or something more up-to-date. And then you have to get from your cross-legged on-the-floor position to a standing-up running position, and I think that entire transition is the height of humiliation. Um, that is my instinctive response. Thank you for asking. Let's talk about a different show. After I just end this all out... By again, being so grateful that there was an army of men to, to, to take the brunt of the audience participation at William Boyd's happy hour, spelt with an I instead of a Y. Howdy hey, uh, it continues to be Jake. Hi, I went to the Improv Conspiracy uh, to see Matt Jenner's show Ingrown. Um, full disclosure, I've met him in real life one time. <laughs> Stop clapping. Uh, yeah, I met Matt Jenner one time, uh, and it was, yeah, quite recently in person. And then before that, like a year or so ago, I was like cast in, but then couldn't do due to a scheduling conflict because, um, because I'm Kate Winslet. I was, I ended up being too busy, but, uh, loved the script. It was so devastating and involved pie. And, um, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's my backstory with, with Matt. <laughs> I'm a talented man that I'm grateful to vaguely know. <laughs> uh, the show itself, like a, a one man, uh, sort of like one man sketch show. Uh, yeah, similar to William Boyd's show in a sense, but in many, many ways, a very different piece of theater. Uh, it was at the Improv Conspiracy based on what I've come to know of Matt via brief conversation and then the internet. <laughs> what a wondrous thing. You should check it out. Um, he, he's got a big improv background. Like he's toured doing it. It's, um, it's a, a thing that it seems like people have been really keen to see him do solitarily for quite some time based on, yeah, again, what, what the internet has taught me of his, his background is that people have been clamoring to see what he does when he gets up on stage by himself. Uh, yeah, so yeah, grateful to get to be there and to see it uh, happen. Uh, yeah, in terms of, like, let's just talk about, like, the energy of, like, being there. Like, it really felt like an improv fan crowd. Like, it felt like a crowd of people that love improv, and even more so, it felt like a crowd of people that do improv. 
Um, I can't super pin down why. I feel like if I, if I would try to, it would come off as accidentally insulting. Um, my eyes have been relatively recently opened through like getting close to a person who is, um, he's great and does improv and uh, we need to destigmatize it a bit, I think. I think, <laughs> I think there are good arguments to be made for both. <laughs> Very generalizing uh, sides of that particular argument. Um, and yeah, no, I think I, I am jealous of some of the qualities that seem quintessentially improv person-y, I'd say. I get the jokes where people compare it to Scientology, but I get the other side of the thing where it's like, there's even as, like, watching the audience come into this performance space, I was like, this style of confidence is something that we definitely need in this world, you know? And being a room full of them watching an improv professional really made me think about, and I keep going back to, you know, <laughs> utopia <laughs> and all of us living in fields and what happens when you clump a bunch of people together and the people in that clump raise children and <laughs> build inside of them the belief that being good at improv and having the qualities that I've listened to Tina Fey and Alan Alda have a conversation rigorously endorsing the value of um, <laughs> having an improvisational capacity in everyday life um, and being unafraid of that type of engagement with others and with the world is a really... like helpful and healthy one. Um, and, and what the, that clump living in that field that prioritized the values inherent in improvisational skills and, and performances, um, how that community would flourish. I think it'd be a lot of like long-winded, engaging conversation <laughs> is one take on things. Um, yeah. And certainly creates, at least in like a 30 or 40 capacity venue, an audience with a very unique ilk. Ilk? Lilt. Ugh, I'm not Googling another word. <laughs> um, Matt enters as a prisoner being brought in, um, yeah, in restraints and comes in in a prison outfit and starts talking to us. He has a speech impediment, which I'm famously on the record as supporting. If it's not impeding your life, keep it. <laughs> that's my stance. Um, yeah, and that's how the show begins with a speech, like, you know, briefing us onto, onto how to thrive in this new prison environment. Uh, which was cool, which was nice. And it was like a thing to, I was like, yeah, curious as to like, are we going to stay in this world? Are we going to be like, you know, like like prisoners for the rest of this piece? We weren't, but it was a thing that I was open to. Uh, yeah, from the get-go, Matt was like immediately like, just like so confident on stage, so willing to just like bend into the energy of the room and and had no self-consciousness, no self-consciousness in the terms of like believing that he was fully capable of like filling the space up and holding our attention. And that level of like confident, relaxed charisma was was something that carried us through the piece and and you know when you can establish that especially with i don't know a one person show it's like you have that kind of like niggling anxiety as an audience member of like oh god i'm trapped in this room for like 55 minutes is this going to be agony or not and even just like something as complicatedly simple as matt's obvious confidence up on stage really uh, like allowed that like squealing guinea pig part of your audience member brain to relax and just yeah and just like watch what happens next um it's a sketch show, so I'll just, like, point out a couple of things that that happened throughout, just in terms of, like, I don't know, how else to talk about it. <laughs> We've established he's good. What the fudge did he do? I'd say one part that stuck out to me was, like, a 127-hour-style moment where he had to, like, get rid of his arm um, and didn't have any, like, James Franco tools on his belt, and so he started, like, biting his arm off. An odd moment to highlight, perhaps, Jake, um, but it's something that stuck with me, partly because I'm, of course, partial to some cannibalism. On stage, don't cut me off. 
Uh, I just think it's really interesting. On stage, in film, I think it's an interesting story component. I think it's a fun thing to interrogate. I think Hannibal is one of the best TV shows we've ever had. Uh, I just think it's interesting. So whatever form it takes, into it. And if you're going to do cannibalism, why not do auto-cannibalism? You know? I don't, but that is to, and not to interrogate this moment that maybe you don't want me to think about for any longer. Um, so, you know, trigger warning, auto-cannibalism. But I guess if you were chomping your arm off to free yourself from like a boulder or something, you wouldn't be swallowing the meat that you chomp off, would you? No, that'd be ridiculous. Yeah, no, you'd just spit it out and have vampire face. Yeah, again, sorry for lingering on this for so long. Um, he also spent some time going into like this, like, like, oh, like <laughs> writerly fantasy he has about killing off Dr. Carl from Neighbours. And I've never really spent much time with Neighbours. I've been very grateful for like the, the pop star spin-off characters that we get in terms of like the Holly Valances of the world. Like, I think that's just like a, like, a, I feel like camp is the wrong thing, but it's like certainly a thing that gets like, any time, especially like a woman does that sort of thing springing out of like a TV show and decides to become a musical sensation. It's the sort of thing that feels like it gets injected directly into the gay community, which is one of the things that I really love about the gay community um, and the gay lifestyle, <laughs> you know, because as much as people talk about Holly Valance's Kiss Kiss, I think Naughty Girl is under-listened to, maybe by you, sweet, sweet listener. I think that's that's her best hit. Um, yeah, somehow it feels necessary to bring up that, like, you probably haven't listened to enough Sophie Ellis Bexter. I'm just pointing that out. Maybe consider remedying that in the coming days. Um, also feels necessary all of a sudden to bring up, like, the Olympic version of the Holly Valance phenomenon of, like, why has Nikki Webster not attempted any sort of, like, musical comeback? Um, and, uh, if she has, uh, link me to the necessary documentation. I don't know why I wasn't informed about that, but that feels like a thing that's almost like, like, like feels too obvious. Like, why not? We're ready. We're ready. Nikki? Nikki. Babe. Babe, come on. Like, if Rebecca Black can bounce back from what she went through to become such a legitimate pop icon at this point. Um, I think Nikki can handle it as well. Um, um, it's on my mind. I'm not going to check, but I feel like earlier on when I said that Matt had a speech impediment, I was referring just to his lecturing prisoner character. Matt's speaking voice is much more of a, in terms of like, you know, the culture that we resentfully exist in, wherein a lisp is something to be solved. Um, Matt himself has a clear, classically, you know, stock standard speaking voice <laughs> in which the consonants sound as they are as a close-minded God intended. Uh, yep. Just flagging that now. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Nah, yeah. It was a, it was a, yeah, a worthwhile time. Um, and yeah, keen to see what happens next, whether or not it's him with, uh, cause I am, as I've like, you know, I feel like you've heard me promise James that I'm going to try to see more improv stuff. And I feel like it's, it's around the next very rapidly nearing corner. So yeah, whether or not it's him by himself or him with a, with a gang of pals from his field clomp. Um, yeah, it'll be cool to see what Matt gets up to next. God, I really need to try to make sure that, <laughs> I don't know, not even just me on this podcast, me and my life, that I don't just become like a mouthpiece for pro-lisp propaganda. Uh, anyway, I, me and beautiful British Johnny went to the Butterfly Club. We went downstairs, which of course I am staunchly on the record for really, really loving as a performance space. Um, 
we were going there to see Con versus Con versus Con, um, a performance by Con Kudis, um, someone who as well, I am staunchly on the record for being in favor of. I think he's fantastic. He c- continues to have one of my favorite faces ever. Um, not that any of this is about looks, but uh, when it comes to comedy, uh, he really knows how to use his face and his body. And that is that is my simple dumb Jake take. Uh, yeah, so went in, sat down, show starts. Um, and the premise of the entire thing, which we come to come to learn about quite early on, because, you know, that's that's how you, because you can sometimes structure a show, letting people know what it is. Uh, yeah, Con comes out, stands on the stage, and we're going to get sort of like a guided tour through the, the layers of his mind. And he travels between them via elevator when the elevator chooses to work. The whole thing is kind of like a real masterwork of <laughs> uh, working with sound and lights and... Uh, uh, cues and <laughs> mime and clownery. Um, it's a real impressive work in terms of the way that he engages with the soundscape he creates, the sound effects that he, that he uses. It's just so, as was the same with Half Steam Ahead, the, uh, the other show of his that I saw. Uh, it's, yeah, this too, in an even more developed, wildly impressive way, uh, the, the, the avenue through which he, at least with these two shows has chosen to kind of like refine and perfect is this, uh, you know, building these worlds and these comedic experiences that hinge so like precariously and, uh, quite thoroughly on tight precision and working so choreographically and marvelously with, you know, sound effect and music and, and sound in a, in a general sense. Um, yeah, he accomplishes something really, really tricky and finicky. And, and I say precarious because like the thought of having to make a show like that to me, <laughs> it seems really stressful. Uh, yeah, but he navigates it, uh, with, with, with so deftly. <laughs> he worked so like sweetly and smoothly with Freya in like the lighting and sound desk. Uh, yeah, they, they, yeah, they cohered really, really well together. Um, in the performance we saw, maybe they'd have pie fights other nights, but yeah, the, the night I was there, it was like so lovely to like in the, the little moments that they shared in terms of making this show function and making the cogs turn. It, that was really nice to see just like a stagecraft thing and like a, a, a working artist way. Um, the way that he spoke to the audience as well was just like so delightful, which again, this being the second time that I've seen Con perform is always the case which I really like, especially as I talked about in Happy Hour mere moments ago. It's <laughs> anytime that the fourth wall isn't there, I'm already on edge the moment that like the house lights come up even a little bit. It's like, I don't know, murder me. I just, uh, but no, but the way that Con handles it and that's to say nothing of the way that Will did it. There's absolutely a version of audience participation that we need with that's more like dirty and renegade and frightening and not built for the jakes of the world necessarily. But then you get like the con side of things, which is his own version, which is like somehow so like warm and inviting and uh, respectful. And, um, and I don't know, more my style in terms of like, it's gentle. (laughs) Um, I I don't know. That's just a thing that I appreciate uh, with the way that my brain is shaped. So that's just really nice. Um, and, And as the show went on, the, the, the audience and con relationship is one that you definitely feel grow as it goes. And that too, like another thing that I wanted to say about something that I think is so great about con versus con versus con, which I hope is clear in the way that I'm saying it. I'm trying to very distinctly say that it is con three times with VS between the words. I just want to be clear because again, that's a thing that I would want as a listener. And I also just want to make sure that you know that I'm not saying con two and a half times. 
just flagging that now. But yeah, as the as this production went on for the time that we spent with him, it really felt like part of what fostered this really beautiful kind of like theatrical community in this little room downstairs at the Butterfly Club was the feeling that you are, are kind of like, collaborating on and developing all of these in-jokes together. Even though it's Con doing really all of the work, um, you really throughout really start feeling like, yeah, there's this fostering of this relationship in which there are all of these in-jokes is is the only term that I can really think of for it, which I, yeah, again, just think was, it was so sweet. <laughs> and uh, yeah, towards the end of it and, and while walking away from it, just a thing that kept... Uh, that still does uh, coming to my mind and reflecting on it and on Con's remarkable skill set and this show that he's created. Um, it really just made me excited for and think about the prospect of him getting a larger stage to perform on, you know, and more money and just the idea of like where his ideas will go and take him and the people that will get to see it and the potential grandeur, I suppose. Like obviously none of this is about making things bigger and more shiny and more expensive, but the way that he is refining so effectively and rapidly and impressively this style of comedy that he's at least for the moment fixating upon, one that involves different multimedia elements. And as I've said, all the, the, the sound effects and the clownery and and yeah, all of this precision. It, it's exciting to be at this portion of his career and to see what he's going to become and the experiments he's going to embark upon next. Because yeah, it's a it's an odd collection of like skills he's cobbled together and that exist inside of him. And uh, yeah, it just excited me to think about like what would it be like for him to have a thousand people to be doing this in front of? What if he had a, a gigantic budget or like more things to play with and just like more tools to add to his belt? And as he becomes a more like season to develop performer um yeah i just yeah it got me excited and it's nice to yeah you know have that type of excitement when you see someone that you respect and are excited by and i keep saying excited um yeah i'm gonna say enthusiastic instead and you can just please retroactively trade that in for all of those excited yeah as i think it's obvious i certainly even when i was sitting there even when the show started having seen con perform only one other time i like he stepped on stage and i was like oh my god i'm a fan of this person and yeah it's not often that i confess that um, cause it's not super often that I necessarily feel that, I guess. And maybe that's just to do with my private definition of what a fan is. Again, I'm not Googling another word. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm a fan of Concutus and I don't care that you know that, um, in a piece that seemed almost in <laughs> through marketing and synopsis, I suppose, kind of pointed in a direction of being about introspection and something that could have veered, I don't know, certainly in that classic, like, sincerity stool direction of, like, okay, now we're going to sit down and talk about why I don't love myself more. It really just never went there, which I'm <laughs> super into. That's so fine. I, especially with it being at least, in, you know, in this praise Dionysus community that we have, one that is spoken directly of the advent of, um, and the, I don't know, the phenomenon of getting three quarters of the way through your show and then feeling the need to sit on a sincerity stool and deliver a monologue about being abducted that one time. It was, it was cool. And I guess kind of like intellectually refreshing to see a show that never went there, especially one that felt as if it was almost in terms of theme designed to go there <laughs> more than once. Even, uh, that was something in terms of, uh, I don't know, I suppose a craft related subversion is cool. And, and the one last thing I'll say is like, there was also like a moment where the idea of like a, like a multiverse was kind of introduced. Um, one that was born of 
uh, Con's internal mental experience. But again, it sort of like cropped up and then went nowhere in the direction of like an everything everywhere, all at Rick and Morty style adventure um, in any sort of like extended fashion. Um, and, uh, and I'm grateful for that too. <laughs> yeah, enjoyed the ride. I'm a big fan. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so that's that's you and me. This episode complete. Um, this episode of Jake and Jamesy's Chuckle Fest, <laughs> featuring just Jake for the day. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. That's that's three shows talked about in this year's Melbourne International Comedy Festival. I will not take up much more of your time. Uh, thank you so much. It's very like sweet and generous of you to be here uh, with with me today. I hope that. The wine you're drinking next to your infinity pool has tasted fantastic. I hope the ocean has been sufficiently meditative and engaging for you. Maybe you saw like a, like a whale or something. <laughs> I'm not a maritime guy. Uh, thank you again for being here with me. Uh, yeah, it's been nice. Um, I yeah. So yeah, I won't. I won't keep you longer. Uh, so as usual, I may already disagree with everything I just said. And friends, don't let friends become theater critics. Uh, have a wonderful day. Um, hopefully, I'll get to speak to you again soon. And yeah, and if you're doing a comedy festival show, if it's still on, uh, yeah, please invite us. We'd love to come along and see it and talk about it um, on this on this podcast. <laughs> uh, enjoy the rest of your day, you sweet, sweet creature. <laughs>